Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, I'm Becky. If we haven't met before, as Paul said, married to Paul there. And I want to start by telling you a story about something that happened to Paul and I, uh, Paul and me, a few weeks ago. Um, we were going to speak at Sorry, it's really bright, and I have to go like this to actually see you. Um, it, but I'll, I'll adjust. Um, we were speaking at a place called Lee Abbey, which is a beautiful place in Devon on the north coast there, absolutely gorgeous. And we hadn't really... I'd been there in 2017. I'm terrible with directions, so I didn't remember anything. Paul had never been there. So we went there, not really very confident about where we were going or how to get there. Uh, so we think we found it following the sat-nav, went in. There was a car in front of us. Also looked like they weren't really sure where they were going. But anyway, they, they were in front of us. They pulled in. Well, we sort of followed them. They went into a car park. So did we. They got out of their car um, and walked down. We walked down a bit behind them. They went in one door. We went in the door that said reception. Um, and because they were expecting us and we were there early for a meeting. And um, so they we got some directions and then went back to our car to get our things. Uh, as we walked out, this other couple walked out in that other door. And um, Paul was friendly and said, hello, thinking they were there for the week to hear us speak, so we better be nice. Um, so he said, hello, and they, they went, hello, and the lady went, uh, hello, um, I don't, uh, hi, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you want to know, but this is actually a Christian place. And we said, yeah, we know. That's kind of why we're here. <laughs> and she's like, well, well, God, this is just, we just asked God to live in our lives a few days ago. And uh, God is really on our case. We didn't mean to come here, but we ended up here. And um, so then they told us the story. It was Kevin Carroll. Um, and we know, I had a seven-minute conversation. I know so much about them. Um, but they had uh, met someone who stayed with them who was an evangelist, and they invited God to live in their lives just a few days ago. And they'd gone off um, together. Actually, he lives in Bristol. She lives in Cardiff, but they've been a couple for four years. And um, so I know a lot. Um, and um, she, and um, they, they'd gone together to this wedding. And she said it was a pagan wedding, but I didn't like it. I wanted to get out of there. So they left, and they were just touring around, and they were going to Ifalcum, something like that. Anyway, the night before, they'd ended up in a pub that just happened to be doing pints and hymns, and the vicar was there speaking. And Kev's like, God's on my case, God's on my case. And then today, we didn't know where we were going, but we ended up here at this Christian place. And I said, well, actually, you know, my, my husband, he, he leads a church, and they were like, no way. <laughs> like, yeah, Really? And then, um, and we had a book. So here, have one of our books um, that tells you more about our faith and things and thing um, and our stories. And then um, she's like, "Well, would you pray for us?" And I'm like, "Of course, we'll pray for you." So we prayed for them. They were crying. Even Kev, she said, "Even Kev, look, he's got tears in his eyes." They were crying. They um, they were just so touched. They were so touched, and they went off, and they're like, please, please pray for us. So I, um, I don't know what's happened with Kevin Carroll this week. I, I trust God is still on their case, but it really makes you think. They were so grateful. It was just all so new to them, and um, you know, they were just really changed by having God, uh, asking God in their lives a few days ago. So it was a lovely encounter. Um, we also at the Abbey that week met a very nice man named Neil who was part of the week who told us he watches our service every Sunday night. So, hi, Neil. Um, right, but Kevin Carroll, they met Jesus, and now their lives will never be the same. So, Jesus. Now, when we do know him, when we know the truth about him, 
what is he to us? Well, he's so much to us. He's our savior, our redeemer. He's our master. He's the boss. He's our healer. He's our protector. He's our friend. And that's what we're thinking about this evening because we're carrying on in this series um, on the book Gentle and Lowly that talks about Jesus and it says the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. It's really lovely. And tonight we're thinking about Jesus as a tender, faithful friend. So as I was going to speak on it, I started thinking, well, of course, I assume I know what a friend is, but, but actually what is a friend? What, what does it mean to be a friend? And I thought, well, I'll look at the book of wisdom, Proverbs. I know it says, it, it says a few things about friends. So Proverbs 17, 17 tells us a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Psalm 18, 24 tells us a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us wounds from a friend can be trusted. So that's a few things that Proverbs says about being a friend. If I asked you your definition of what is a friend... Now, I think each of you, we don't have time, so I'm not going to ask you, don't worry, um, but each of you would come up with a, probably something slightly different than the person next to you, possibly. But I think if I gathered up all your answers, there would be general themes, things they had in common together. For instance, answers like, well, a friend is someone who's there for you. A friend is someone you can be yourself with, just relax and be yourself. A friend is someone who accepts your foibles and your little quirks without holding them against you. A friend is someone who cries with you and rejoices with you. A friend is someone who celebrates and calls out the best in you. A friend is someone you can just sit in silence with. A friend is someone you cannot be in contact with for years, and then when you're in contact again, just pick up right where you left off. Things like that. That's what um, a a friend is. So with that in mind, we're going to look at our reading, if you can see it in the dark. But I can see mine. So I'm looking at Matthew 11, verses 11 to 19. If you have a phone, then you can see it nicely on your screen. Now I'm picking up in this chapter of Matthew 11, where Jesus has been um, talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, obviously, said, behold the, behold the Lamb of God, um, about Jesus, knew he was the Messiah, baptized him, but now he's in prison and he's just thinking, really, Were you, am I, are, are you really the one? And Jesus is like, yes, I'm really the one. Um, and then Jesus starts talking to the crowds about John and what he was like. And uh, picking up in verse 11 of chapter 11, he says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus is so cryptic sometimes. But... um, 
But what's going on here? What's he saying? What's this line about Jesus being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend to tax collectors and sinners? He said that's what some of the people were saying about him. Jesus being a drunkard and a glutton. Do we think he was like that? The thing is that human nature doesn't change. And then, as now, those who want to keep themselves apart, hold themselves apart and criticize, will find a way to do so. Did John the Baptist have a demon? No. He was just extreme in his behavior. The camel hair, eating the locust, hanging out in the desert, telling people to repent. Was Jesus a glutton and a drunkard? No. He was also just extreme in his behavior, sharing meals with unsavory characters and doing things that went against the norm. And here's an account of where this accusation started from Matthew 9. Uh, 9 to 13, it says, As Jesus went on from there, this is carrying on from healing the man who was lowered through the roof. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When Jesus saw this, they asked his disciples, sorry, when the Pharisees saw this, They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And just my personal interjection, I think they were genuinely confused. They didn't really get why he was doing this. And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, Jesus, so cryptic. But I take this statement, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, here from Jesus to mean he's looking for an attitude of heart that lines up with his. That is one that's merciful. He, rather than an outward performance of earning right standing with God, making sacrifices. But those like the Pharisees who were used to doing things by the book, offering animal sacrifices as they still did then to keep themselves in right standing or righteous as they saw it. They thought they had it all together and didn't need anything else. They believed themselves healthy. But Jesus here brilliantly points out to those questioning his actions the need of Matthew and his friends to know the love and healing of God in their lives as well as at the same time confronting the attitude of the Pharisees. The Pharisees see themselves as healthy, but the thing is that they also need a doctor. Um, a quote from the book. It's not his disciples, but his antagonists who most clearly perceive who Jesus is. Though the crowds call him the friend of sinners as an indictment, the label is one of unspeakable comfort for those who know themselves to be sinners. The thing is, Jesus is comfortable in anyone's company. There's not a human being that doesn't matter to him. No matter how lost, he wants them found. So when Jesus was in human form on earth, he spent time with all sorts of people, every sort of person, from those we would consider to be the most holy to those we would consider the most vile and dangerous. For instance, in Luke 8, we read about the man who had so, he was so demonized, so tormented, 
that he lived in a cemetery on his own. It tells us he would cut himself daily. They, no one could constrain him. He was just completely isolated and tormented. And the demons in him, there were so many, they called themselves legion. But after encountering Jesus, this man, it tells us, sits at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. And then he begs to let Jesus stay with him. He begs Jesus, take me where you're going. But Jesus sends him back to his hometown, back to his family, to tell those who knew him from before the difference Jesus had made in his life. Just as Jesus was comfortable around them, those who knew their need wanted to be with Jesus. They were comfortable around him in a way they weren't comfortable around the religious leaders and the teachers of the law who held them at arm's length. Again, the author of the book says it this way. He says, what does it mean that Christ is a friend to sinners? At the very least, it means he enjoys spending time with them. It also means that they feel welcome and comfortable around him. Now, we have the beautiful story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Now, Zacchaeus was not just any tax collector, but the chief tax collector. And you're thinking, what's the big deal about being a tax collector? I know nobody likes to pay taxes. But then, if you were a tax collector, it meant that you pretty much were guaranteed to be cheating your neighbors. You could take whatever you wanted for yourself. So it meant that you were sort of stealing from your own community, but you were also collaborating with the enemy, the oppressor, by taking the taxes for them and keeping some for yourself. And Zacchaeus wasn't just any tax collector like Matthew. He was the chief. He was a chief tax collector, so especially disliked by his community. But Zacchaeus was very interested in Jesus, enough so to climb a tree to get a good look at this man who was passing through. He'd heard about As Jesus is walking by, he spots him in the tree, and he invites himself round to his house. He says, Zacchaeus, I must stay with you today. And Zacchaeus accepts. It tells us he accepts gladly. He asks Jesus to come. But the people, the neighbors, the community mutter. And they say, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Again, they didn't get it. I don't blame them, really. But after having having Jesus come, Zacchaeus has a complete change of heart. And he says, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus responds by saying, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That's Zacchaeus. In Luke 7, we have the story about a woman who pours perfume over Jesus' feet. Now, in this instance, Jesus is having dinner with a Pharisee. He's been invited around by a Pharisee. Um, But a woman with a bad reputation comes over, cries all over Jesus' feet, dries dries his feet with her hair, and then pours expensive perfume on them. And the Pharisee, his name is Simon, we're told by Luke, he, he, um, we, he said to himself, we don't know if he muttered it, thought it, uh, if he said it really loudly, he, but this is what he said to himself. If this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Simon's scandalized by this. Jesus then tells Simon a story about a moneylender who cancels the debt of two different people who can't afford to pay him back. One has a really large debt and the other a small one. And then Jesus asked Simon, he says, now, which of them will love him more, this money lender? 
And I love how Simon the Pharisee responds. He says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You can tell he knows the answer is really obvious, but he's not going to like what's going to follow. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. I love how Jesus can be so affirming when he's challenging us. Jesus then goes on to make clear to Simon that he, Simon, has not been a very gracious host, while the woman that Simon calls a sinner has treated Jesus with much more care and respect. In other words, Simon the Pharisee also has a debt to pay. Now, this evening, know that wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you consider yourself to be spiritually healthy or sick, whether you consider yourself to have a big debt to pay or a small one, Jesus will be a faithful friend to you. The fact is we all have a debt to pay we can never afford to pay. Jesus has paid the debt for us, and the more we're aware of what he's done for us, the more we will do our best to be a faithful friend to him. Now, he doesn't need our friendship in the same way that we need his. But he does want us to come to him. There's that great verse in Revelation in the letter to Laodicea, which Jesus describes as a lukewarm church. But he says to them in, the, in this letter to this church, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. So whatever loneliness you may feel, you are never alone with Jesus. Invite him in. He's knocking at your door. Talk to him. Involve him. I know you can't see him with your physical eyes, but it doesn't mean he's not there. Hospital appointments, job interviews, exams, difficult situations, difficult relationships, anywhere you feel out of your depth and on your own, as a follower of Jesus, you can be guaranteed he is there for you. He is there believing in you more than you believe in yourself. He's cheering you on, and he's standing alongside you. He does all those things from my list, my definition of friendship at the beginning. He is there for you. You can be yourself with him. He accepts your quirks and your foibles without holding them against you. He cries with you, and he rejoices with you. He celebrates you with you, and he calls out the best in you. You can just sit in silence with him, and you cannot be in contact with him for years and pick up right where you left off. Jesus is the best friend you can ever have, and he is also so, so much more. But this is the ultimate description that Jesus himself gave of friendship. In John 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from the Father, I've made known to you. Jesus lets us in by his spirit living in us on what he and the Father are up to. First of all, by helping us to understand his written word and by leading and guiding us in the day-to-day as we let him in. And just look at the difference his friendship made to Matthew. Matthew, who was a tax collector, became a follower of Jesus and wrote the book of Matthew. 
to Zacchaeus, the man who was despised by his community, stealing from them, who then was a change man and gave back. To the man possessed by so many demons who ended up in his right mind, no longer tormented. To the woman with the perfume, who had been so transformed by Jesus, hearing him say she was forgiven as part of the story, that she's so grateful, the difference that he made to her. And to our new friends, Kevin Carroll, that we met by chance. The friendship of Jesus makes a real difference. And to finish with one more quote from the book, where the author, Dane Ortland says, What I'm trying to say in this chapter is that the heart of Christ not only heals our feelings of rejection with his embrace, and not only corrects our sense of his harshness with the view of his gentleness, and not only changes our assumption of his aloofness into an awareness of his sympathy with us, but it also heals our aloneness with his sheer companionship. So, can I ask you to stand, if you're able, and we'll just have a time of prayer and waiting on the Lord together. So, Jesus, we thank you that you are such a faithful friend. Thank you that whoever we are, however we've lived, however we come, you want to be our friend. So we pray that by your spirit now, you would help each one of us here to have a greater revelation of your heart towards us, of your love for us, that you're there for us. And just two things to share that I felt during the worship. One was I saw, I kept seeing this red thing, and I felt, um, and I just had red rag to a ball come up, and I felt that there's somebody here who maybe feels, thinks that's what God is like, that they just have to do one wrong thing, and it'll be like a red rag to a ball, and he's going to attack. But actually, God's saying, no, it's not like that. I'm there for you. I'm not looking to get you. I'm not looking uh, for you to mess up so I can have a go. I'm for you. I want to be with you. I want to help you navigate life. I want to teach you how to walk with me, walk in my ways, in the way that will be best for you. Not looking to catch you out. And also that... um, I think the Lord was saying that many of us here will have already asked Jesus into our lives. We will know him, and he is our friend. But he's saying, I feel it's an invitation. Will we be a friend to him? Will we treat him as a good friend? Will we trust him? I feel he's saying, will you trust me? Will you turn to me? Will you know I'm there for you? It's an invitation to... um, to turn to him more, to know he's there for you in this way.